COVID-19 is testing us all in ways we never imagined. Around the globe, individuals, families, and nations are, are rising to this challenge with courage and grace. I'm especially grateful for the research community's quick response to this crisis. For our part, the Foundation is making this commitment. We will flex to the researchers' needs in any way we can to keep critical neuroscience moving forward with the least possible disruption. Together we will pull through this and be stronger than ever. Today on the Michael J. Fox Foundation Parkinson's Podcast, we present an episode from our limited series on everything you need to know about navigating Parkinson's and COVID-19. This is Michael J. Fox. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Learn more about the Michael J. Fox Foundation's work and how you can help speed a cure at michaeljfox.org. Navigating Parkinson's disease can be challenging, but we're here to help. Welcome to the Michael J. Fox Foundation podcast. Tune in as we discuss what you should know today about Parkinson's research, living well with the disease, and the Foundation's mission to speed a cure. Free resources like this podcast are always available at michaeljfox.org. Hi, I'm Larry Gifford. I'm the host of the podcast, When Life Gives You Parkinson's. I was diagnosed at 45 years old, and like you, I'm trying to figure out everything I need to do to be healthy, well, and safe during COVID-19's pandemic. That's why the Michael J. Fox Foundation for Parkinson's Research and I are teaming up to launch this limited series podcast. Each episode is designed to help people with Parkinson's disease and their care partners navigate their way through the COVID-19 pandemic. And joining me each episode is the Foundation's own board-certified movement disorder specialist, Dr. Rachel Dolan. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Larry. I live on a busy street in New York City, and with social distancing, we're broadcasting from my apartment. So <laughs> if you hear some background noise, that's what it is. Awesome. I'm really glad to be here. This limited series podcast will offer practical advice on topics including how to make the most of telemedicine appointments with your movement disorder specialist, best practices for ongoing deep brain stimulation care, tips for managing in-home care during social distancing, opportunities to participate in Parkinson's research from home, and the benefits of mindfulness and physical exercise in combating depression and feelings of loneliness and isolation. And we're not going to tackle all of this in one episode. There's <laughs> going to be episode after episode. Every couple of weeks, we'll, we'll put out another episode on a Wednesday. Uh, and we're going to answer your questions, too. So fire away info at michaeljfox.org. Just email info at michaeljfox.org. Uh, we'll begin each episode discussing some of the latest news and information that Rachel and I have come across. And we're calling this segment, get this, here's what I'm hearing. What are you hearing? <laughs> so I'm hearing uh, that not only is the Michael J. Fox Foundation launching this podcast, but on the website, there's a whole COVID-19 resource hub. That's right. We really hope people will visit michaeljfox.org and check out what we're pulling together on pretty much a daily basis as this situation continues to evolve so quickly. It's really easy to feel worried, but we want to counter that worry by helping people stay connected to the community and to credible information. So we've designed this resource hub as a one-stop shop to help answer questions you have about COVID, maybe questions you don't even know you have. So there's lots of different opportunities to read, listen, watch, to keep yourself informed. We've got webinars, including the one you hosted, Larry, about making the most of a telemedicine appointment. Also a conversation we did early on with Susan Bressman, who's a world-renowned movement disorder specialist at Mount Sinai, who shared what she's telling her own patients with Parkinson's about COVID. 
There's also several of my blogs from the Foundation's Ask the MD series about various topics like staying active and easing mood changes and feelings of isolation. And we've got information on getting involved in Fox Insight, which is our online clinical study that you can do from home. And of course, this podcast. So what's interesting about the Fox Insight is you've got the Fox Trial Finder and you have the Fox Insight. I always thought I was signed up for Fox Insight, but I kept hearing the messages. So I went on there. I'm like, I'm not filling out questions. What are, what are people talking about? I had not signed up for it. So I, I went, so that's what COVID-19 done for me. I'm now on the Fox Insight. There's your silver lining. That's right. Uh, I've been hearing mixed views on if people with Parkinson's are at a high risk of getting COVID-19. One side, one side says, oh yeah, absolutely. And the other side says, well, Parkinson's in and of itself doesn't make you a higher risk of getting the disease. So mo- most recently I hear because most people with Parkinson's are over 70, they're automatically vulnerable. And because the leading cause of death for people with Parkinson's is pneumonia and COVID-19 attacks the lungs, it's just not a great combination. So what's the foundation's position on COVID-19 and Parkinson's and how likely you are to contract it or not? Well, first and foremost, as a science organization, we are interested in data and evidence. And because COVID is a new disease, there is little data and evidence. I have lots of rumors for you. (laughs) Yeah, there's there's internet is good for that. (laughs) So there is little data and evidence about the risks related to COVID in people with Parkinson's disease. So the foundation doesn't take a formal position on this beyond helping to share what does become known as the research moves forward. And I think it is helpful to point out, as you did in your question, that we're reporting what we know today. Each day, we're learning more and more about COVID itself, what types of neurological symptoms it may cause, how it affects people with Parkinson's. So it's important to point out that this information is changing. And what we say today may be different from what we'd say in a few days or a few months or a few years from now. So with that disclaimer out of the way, As we often discuss, Parkinson's is highly variable. And I'm not an infectious disease doctor, but it appears that there also is a widely variable course of the virus itself in the general population. So with older people and those who have health conditions like lung, heart, or kidney problems, to name a few, they seem to be more at risk of getting the virus and potentially having more severe symptoms. So this all means that there's likely no one-size-fits-all experience for anyone, including people with Parkinson's who get COVID. Now for younger people with Parkinson's who are in good health, eat well, stay active, there isn't a lot of evidence to suggest that their risks of COVID are substantially different from those without Parkinson's who fit the same profile with the exception that any infection, whether it's the common cold, a urinary tract infection, can temporarily worsen Parkinson's symptoms. Okay. For those people who are older or have other health conditions or are living with other health challenges that can come with Parkinson's, like limited mobility, cognitive changes, et cetera, those could tend to create some situations that might increase the risk for contracting COVID or having a more severe course with COVID. All right. I hear sense of smell as an early sign of coronavirus. But as some of us with Parkinson's know all too well, loss of smell is also a symptom of Parkinson's disease. So what do you make of that? 
First, I think the news about smell loss really shows how doctors, researchers, patients, and health organizations, to name a few, are really working together to learn about COVID and bring that information to the public in real time. We started out not even knowing that this virus existed and then not knowing much about it. We knew that fever, cough, shortness of breath were the main symptoms, and those are still the core symptoms. But as more and more people experienced the virus, we saw these new and different symptoms, including things like smell loss. And these help doctors not only look at how best to diagnose the virus, but it also leads them to ask, why does this occur? Why is smell loss happening? Is it because the virus clogs the nasal passageways, causing a stuffy nose that affects our ability to smell just like any cold or allergies would? Or is it because the virus is directly affecting the smell nerves? We don't know yet. And as you pointed out, smell loss is also a common and early symptom of Parkinson's. And researchers are looking at these exact same questions for smell loss and Parkinson's. What causes it? And could it be one way to potentially diagnose the disease early on before other symptoms like movement changes, tremor, stiffness, slowness develop? That's great. Rachel, what are you hearing? Uh, so much, but a, a couple <laughs> things, you know, one is important. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and we talked about stress, anxiety, depression. These are symptoms that we don't talk about enough, and these are important and real symptoms. Mm -hmm. And so it's important to recognize these and, and that a lot of people feel these before even before COVID, but they're they're often and, and, and really amplified now. So if you are feeling these, it's okay. And there's a lot of ways to manage them and a lot of people who can help you manage them. But on the flip side, reach out and, and, and talk to people, talk to your friends, share your share your experiences with your family members your community members because people who are feeling lonely or anxious or depressed they may not want to reach out or feel like they can reach out and so so it may be you who is the one who who you know makes the telephone call or sets up the zoom chat or whatever it is and and extends that hand and opens that conversation that's really helpful for somebody else even a, an instant message or a text uh, can just Absolutely. brighten somebody's day and feel like they're connected that connection is, is more important now than ever you hearing anything else april was parkinson's awareness month right? you know and i feel like April was, you know, a hundred years, but also passed in a blur. And, um, you know, it was April is such a big month for us in, in raising awareness about Parkinson's, the symptoms of Parkinson's. And again, it was, you know, for, for good reason, it was overshadowed this year. But, um, but we did a lot of good work in, in talking about Parkinson's, raising awareness for it, bringing the community together. And, and so uh, didn't want to leave without mentioning that. And that is what we're hearing. Now let's hear from our guest, Katie Amadeo. Katie is a movement disorder specialist at the University of Rochester. Katie, thanks for taking some time with us. Thank you for having me. Katie, we really want to dive in now into managing your Parkinson's during COVID-19 and give people some practical advice. So I'll start with telemedicine, seeing your doctor virtually. This is a really different thing for people with Parkinson's and for their doctors, and we're learning a lot during this time. Can you give people some advice on how to prepare for an appointment and how to have an appointment with their doctor during this time? 
Yeah. Thanks, Rachel. That's an excellent uh, question that is definitely very relevant right now. And, you know, make sure you call ahead, call the staff ahead. Um, our, most of the staff are doing teaching and making sure there's no issues with connection. They almost do like a practice run. And I think what's important about the um, doing a like a dry run before your encounter with your provider is making sure that the camera is positioned well. Um, sometimes this can take up a bit of your appointment if we're trying to position the camera, uh, make sure we can see you know, as much of you as we can so we can do a thorough exam. So I think those are things to keep in mind. What are some of the benefits of telemedicine? The benefits are that you can, A, connect with your provider during a time like this where it would, you know, we want to try to limit exposures as best we can. Um, and so it's it's a safe way where we can, you can see your provider from the comfort of your home. You know, we know that there are just inherent with the office visit, we're only capturing a piece of, of what's going on in individuals' lives. So when we check blood pressure, that's just a piece in time. Uh, and often sometimes they can be elevated or, you know, falsely elevated, things like that because of just anxiety of coming to the appointment or maybe the rush of getting to the appointment. So I think by having individuals in their home, it's a really comfortable environment for patients. And my patients have really enjoyed it. I enjoy it because I can see a glimpse into what their lives are like at home. Um, you know, maybe there's a dog there, something like that, that I can see that, you know, how, how they operate in their home life. So I think there are, I think there's a lot of benefits, particularly also, you know, as a movement specialist at a tertiary hospital, we often have individuals coming from maybe two, three hours away. And now, you know, they don't have to travel that far. We can see them, like I said, in their homes. There are a lot of people who need in-home care, people thinking mm -hmm. about what's the you know, exposure risk of having somebody come in my home. What have you talked with people about as far yeah. as getting in-home care during this time? Yeah, so I think there are you know, a couple options. So certainly for individuals who have assistance coming into their home, I think as long as they're limiting who is coming into the home and those that are coming into the home are practicing safe hygiene, I think it's okay. Now, in terms of, I've had some situations come up where, you know, I've seen a, a patient over telehome and I've really felt like they would benefit from either occupational therapy or physical therapy. And that's another uh, beautiful thing that's going on right now is we are able to do that virtually as well. So some of the physical therapists that I work with are, are able to offer these services via telehome as well. What if your doctor wants you to have a blood or a urine test? Is it safe to go to the lab? Yeah, that's um, a great question that does come up. You're right. So thanks for bringing it up. Um, you know, I think overall as a field, we're trying to really make sure that we are only getting tests that, you know, we feel are urgent um, and trying to just, again, limit if they can wait till they're, uh, to maybe when things hopefully become less less um, acute right now. But obviously we don't know when that will be. So there's going to be times where people need to go get blood work or maybe get imaging done. And I don't want people to be afraid of going to the doctor's office because, or to the even the emergency room because the thing is, you know, everyone's doing a really good job in terms of being safe. So there'll be screening questions asked to make sure that there's no concerns for infection. Everyone's doing universal masking to make sure that that, you know, that's taking away a risk. Um, and everyone's practicing six feet apart. So even just coming into the waiting rooms, people will be, 
sat six feet apart. Or another option is actually to stay in the car and just you'll be called when it's time to come in when you're when it's your time. So that's another way. But everyone's really practicing, you know, disinfecting. And it, it generally I have to say I you know, I have to go into the office at times to do Botox and every people feel safe. So I wouldn't be afraid of going to get blood work. It's okay. You mentioned the word, Katie, being afraid, and there's there's so much fear yeah, right now yeah. and so much stress Absolutely. and anxiety. And for people with and without Parkinson's, you know, I'm feeling a lot of this. And so what can people yeah. do to, you know, lessen some of this anxiety and stress just around their symptoms, yeah. around, you know, being afraid to go to the doctor? I think first and foremost is just being in tune with yourself. So. Uh, you know, I like that you just said that, Rachel, like I myself am, am anxious, you know, and me too. And so we have to be, I think, attuned to that and, um, you know, practice techniques to help with anxiety. So um, deep breathing, uh, mindfulness, you know, meditation, yoga, make sure you're getting that in every day as well, just because this is a time you really have to focus on self-care too, because it is a time of high anxiety. So I think doing things that are good for you and good for your um, mental health are so important. Um, this can include painting, adult coloring, things like that um, to really help. But in terms of how to mitigate fears, um, you know, definitely I think talk to your providers. Um, try to get accurate information from your doctors. I've, you know, I have had p my patients call me and just ask questions, you know, what happens if I get coronavirus? What, you know, the questions you're asking me, Larry. And I think, you know, when you can hear it from your providers and be reassured that that can really help, try to make sure you're getting accurate information. I honestly, I'm just going to say this, I would say limit your news watching, <laughs> you know, because I think if we watch news all day long, you're, you're going to get, you're going to get anxious because of course you're going to be hearing about some extreme cases, things like that. And I would say try to limit, you know, as much as you can. Obviously, it's important to stay informed, but just make sure that you're also taking time to for not hearing about coronavirus, too. <laughs> well, the anxiety and the stress can actually exacerbate your Parkinson's symptoms. So not consuming too much news you can actually right. help you a lot down the road. You know, you're right. We yes. need to take our meds on time. Totally right. We need to exercise. We need to do all those things. Um, let's talk about Absolutely. DBS for a minute. DBS, uh, deep brain stimulation. If you've had DBS, uh, my, my friend Jim Smurton had it a while back. His battery lasts three to five years and two weeks into COVID-19 uh, and just at the three-year mark, it ran out of juice, battery dead. Uh, mm -hmm. He ended up having mm -hmm. uh, pretty much emergency surgery to get that battery replaced. Can you talk people through what they should do if they notice their battery's getting low or if, it, if their battery drains? Mm -hmm. We, you know, we do ask our patients for... Always, but particularly during this time, make sure you're checking your batteries, particularly if you're not able, you know, as we're just encouraging office visits. So if you're not able to actually get in front of your provider who will check your battery, it's really on our patients to be checking their batteries regularly, which depending on where their juice is, as you say, uh, it could be monthly, it could be weekly, depending on where it is. So. So I think if, if there's any questions about that, certainly call your providers or, you know, some, some practices have DBS nurses who specialize and can help with those instructions. But make sure you know how regular you should be checking. And what often happens is when it's time to get it checked, you'll get this little warning. Some devices will say like ER1 or something. Um, and some people are like, what does that mean? But what that means is 
yes, you should be calling your provider to, to get scheduled. That When you get that warning, there's usually time. There's usually a few months built in um, to get you, you know, calling your provider, be scheduled for your procedure so that it's not so urgent. Katie, you specialize not only in movement disorders like Parkinson's, but also memory changes, thinking problems or, you know, processing changes that, that, that can happen in Parkinson's as well. And this can be a particularly hard time for people who don't understand what's going on, you know, in addition to being such a time of uncertainty, but also such a time of, of us not understanding what's happening for people who have cognitive problems or, or trouble understanding, think, you know, having thinking changes or, or problems with memory. For care partners of people who might have thinking changes or memory changes, do you have tips to help with, with this time? Mm -hmm. This is a time that is tough because, you know, particularly for the care partner, because they're ha having to explain why to their loved ones that they're not going out, um, explain why they, you know, they need to to be safe right now or, or what's even just going on in the world. They're finding that they're having to repeat that, things like that, things that come along sometimes with, with cognitive impairment. And so my advice to the care partners is, a, you know, be kind to yourself. So I always, the first thing I say is, you know, how are you doing? Uh, give yourself a big hug for, for doing all that you're doing. Um, if, you know, check in with yourself. Are you, are you feeling burnt out at all, overwhelmed? That's a time to call your providers, too, so that we can, you know, be addressing your needs or, or talk with your own doctors uh, about what's going on. You know, if you do need help, you know, ask for it. Um, try to be patient. If you ever get overwhelmed, just step out of the room for a minute, you know, give yourself some time and just know that, you know, your loved one with Parkinson's and cognitive impairment, they don't mean it. It's, it's part of the, it can be part of the disease. And so just being patient. And I, if there's, you know, anxiety in your loved one with Parkinson's and cognitive impairment and not understanding what's going on, you can limit the news. Um, try to do tasks that are good for cognitive function, which that brings me to another point. You know, a lot of what I usually talk about is how, you know, to to preserve cognitive function, to stimulate cognitive function, and a big piece of that is socialization, which is, which is a whole different beast right now. You know, we're not able to socialize in ways that we used to. But I say, you know, get on FaceTime with your grandkids. Uh, make sure you're calling friends. Um, do novel things together, puzzling, planting, baking, trying to do things that stimulate cognition in a different way. I, I know some people have their um, grandparents or, or their, their loved ones in uh, a, a care center or a nursing home, and they're not allowed to visit now. Yeah. And because of the yeah. cognitive issues, uh, the person with Parkinson's uh, or the person with um, you know, Alzheimer's or whatever, they don't, they don't understand why they're not getting any visitors anymore. And I don't know how you yeah. can make that easy for yeah. them. Yeah, no, my heart, uh, you know, breaks for everyone, but particularly our, our loved ones and our patients in nursing homes. I think it's a very difficult time um, for everyone, but like I said, more so for them because, I, you know, they really are being restricted on who can visit. Uh, some are, you know, restricted to where they can even go in the nursing home, and I, I think it's very difficult. But ways that we can, you know, help, I have heard of some nursing homes allowing, you know, people to kind of visit outside the window. So if uh, your loved one has that 
opportunity. I think that's important to just maybe or plant something outside their window, say hi. Um, there are ways to, you know, communicate again via telehome. So I do have, I have been seeing some of my patients via telehome. Uh, and if you're able to talk to your grandparent via Zoom or, or Skype or something, you know, please do it because um, they, they really need that support right now. So this is going to be the final question, and this is for all of us. Anytime we're faced with adversity in life, uh, we hope that there are lessons mm-hmm. learned. So what lessons are you personally learning through this, and what in general do you think the Parkinson's community will learn from this? When we are faced with any, like you said, any tough time, or, I, you know, what it's taught me is that to really focus on the good uh, and what we're grateful for, and um, that's been really helpful to me. Um, another thing that I that I'm I think realizing during this time for myself, but something I actually have talked about with patients during other times. So, say for example, in the setting of uh, a patient, you know, having this discussion with me about giving up or, or no longer working in the setting of their of Parkinson's, and how tough that was. You know, that decision is when when you think you're you're defined by your job and so you know and we talk about how you're not that's not who you are you are um you know a father a a husband you know those are that's who you are and so i think times like this where we're having furloughs or layoffs or um, we're not working in the same way we used to it it helps me to think about how those things are just things we do but they're not who we are so I guess that's what I would say. That's great. I've learned or am learning several lessons in mm-hmm. in this in this time. And I, I think one of the biggest ones is to really focus on the present. You know, if I get caught up in my worry spiral about what what may or may not happen in the next couple of days or the next couple right. of months, it can really send me on on a downward turn. And so it really helps me to stay in this present moment. Katie, you mentioned gratitude and that really helps me stay grounded. But I, I know that, well, at least I have this guise of control, but I know that I, I think I can control this moment. That's about all I can stay in control right. of. Right. And um, so, so that's been right. a really big one for me. I, I think it's also been a, a real big get back to the basics, you know, eating healthy, staying active, keeping a routine, mm-hmm. sleeping eight hours a night and we're about there. You know, <laughs> what is that like? Um, so, yeah. <laughs> I, also, I don't have kids. Um, so, you know, it's these sorts of things. And, and the, the big one there is staying connected. You know, I've, I've talked to my family and my friends who I've lost touch with more in, in these past six weeks than I probably have over the past year. And those connections and reconnections are really fueling me in this time. And and that's something we talk about in the Parkinson's community all the time is how these connections really fuel us and build this framework that builds builds us up and supports us at a time when we need support more than ever. Those are the, the huge learnings that will hopefully carry us forward. Those are great. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm taking improv uh, classes online 
right now because we can't do them in person. <laughs> and, and, and part of that is being in the present. You have to be in the moment. And so the way to yeah. get, one of the easy ways to get there is to just notice five things around you right now. I see my cell phone. I see a pen. I see a piece of paper. I see Rachel and I see a speaker. So suddenly I'm here. I'm in the moment. Uh, and so that's just an easy way that people, you don't have to do the frou-frou stuff if you don't want to, but yeah. I love to meditate for a half hour a day or whatever I can get in uh, before my 10-year-old jumps on my lap. Uh, and, and, then I, and I'm finding that time to spend with my wife and my 10-year-old and playing Lego for a half hour and just being there with him in, in his imagination. Uh, that, for me, is just so rewarding. Uh, and and to, to your point about the yeah. job, like I, I work full time in an office usually, uh, but I haven't been. And I realize because I'm not commuting, I'm not on public transportation, I'm not in big crowds downtown, I'm not eating crap for lunch at the, at the restaurants, my symptoms have improved. Mm-hmm. And so now I'll, I'm rethinking how I move forward after COVID. So yeah. it's, it's yeah. really That's huge great. lessons to be learned. All right. Absolutely. Well, Katie, thank Absolutely. you so much for joining yeah. us. Thank you. Thank you both. I always enjoy talking with you. Thank you. That's Katie <laughs> Amadeo, MD, at the University of Rochester, where she completed the Edmund J. Safra Fellowship in Movement Disorders. That's a prestigious fellowship offered by the Michael J. Fox Foundation to train the next generation of clinician researchers in Parkinson's disease. Rachel, our time is done. This was great. I look forward to doing this again. Me too. That was a great conversation. Rachel Dolan, MD, is Vice President of Medical Communications for the Michael J. Fox Foundation and a board-certified movement disorder specialist neurologist. And I'm Larry Gifford, just a regular guy uh, who has Parkinson's disease. You can connect with me on social media at Parkinson's Pod, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can email us at info at michaeljfox.org. Thank you so much for joining us. Be sure to check out the michaeljfox.org website for more resources, webinars, blog posts, and all sorts of resources for living a better life with Parkinson's. Click on Understanding Parkinson's and look down the column on the far right. Stay safe, connect with your Parkinson's community, keep exercising, and we'll get through this together. Did you enjoy this podcast? Share it with a friend or leave a review on iTunes. It helps listeners like you find and support our mission. Learn more about the Michael J. Fox Foundation at michaeljfox.org. Thanks for listening. This is Michael J. Fox. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Learn more about the Michael J. Fox Foundation's work and how you can help speed a cure at michaeljfox.org.